You are listening to Dot Mill Docs, the Military Health System's official podcast. Thanks for downloading the show. Today is Thursday, March 18th, 2010. My name is Russell Carlson, and in case you hadn't heard, March is Brain Injury Awareness Month. I encourage you to visit health.mil for articles, videos, and more podcasts on the topic of brain injury. You can also get links to various brain injury resources at health.mil slash brain injury. Our guest on the program this week is Dr. Frederick Flynn. Dr. Flynn is the medical director of the Traumatic Brain Injury Program at Madigan Army Medical Center, which is on Fort Lewis in Washington State. Dr. Flynn, welcome to Dot Mill Docs. Thank you. Well, if you could start just by talking about uh, who you are and what you do, that would be great. Okay, I'm uh, uh, Dr. Fred Flynn. I am a retired uh, 30-year career uh, Army officer. I served uh, uh, in the Army Medical Corps as both a program director and chief of uh, neurology with my last job being here at, uh, at Madigan. Uh, there was a four-year stint that I actually served as the consultant to the Surgeon General in neurology. And at the present time, I've returned uh, to work uh, in a Department of the Army uh, civilian position, and my present job is as the medical director of the Traumatic Brain Injury Program at uh, Madigan Army Medical Center in Fort Lewis. Okay, so now we've been talking about um, traumatic brain injury on the program all month long because it's Brain Injury Awareness Month. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about what the medical response to a traumatic brain injury is. Um, sure, I'd be happy to. The, the very first thing I think we need to clarify is that not all traumatic brain injuries uh, are either the same uh, from a clinical standpoint, nor are they the same from an uh, emergency response standpoint. Mm -hmm. Uh, the three different uh, categories of traumatic brain injury include mild, moderate, and severe. And the more moderate to severe traumatic brain injuries uh, are often acute emergencies, which um, uh, involve uh, acute uh, medical assessment and care. In the case of uh, combat-related traumatic brain injury, this is done immediately on the battlefield with these patients oftentimes being evacuated for emergency um, neurosurgery and intensive care uh, treatment. Um, their further treatment may involve uh, stabilization and air evac uh, to Lahnstuhl uh, Army Region Medical Center in um, uh, Germany. Mm -hmm. as well as uh, further uh, stabilization and further AeroVac back to Walter Reed and Bethesda for more intensive care. Uh, those soldiers will eventually uh, go on to rehabilitation for variable periods of time, but oftentimes in an affiliated uh, VA medical facility. Now, overall, um, out of all traumatic brain injuries that uh, have been sustained uh, in theater in combat-related circumstances, uh, over 90% uh, uh, still fall into the mild category. And that's, that's also mild traumatic brain injury. Is that the same as concussion? Uh, yes. Now, for the medical response to the mild traumatic brain injury is to uh, first of all, try and identify the injured. And sometimes in a combat theater situation, 
where um, within the chaos of combat, it may be quite difficult to do that right off the bat. Um, there is a, a new DOD proposal that is set forth that will um, probably go into effect uh, sometime in the near future regarding uh, taking all individuals that may have been exposed to a blast and assessing them for the possibility of whether or not they may have sustained a concussive injury. Um, the assessment process includes a, um, a form that we call the MACE, which is the Military Acute Concussion Evaluation. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is an assessment tool that, that measures uh, the individual's uh, alertness, attentiveness, uh, a 30-point cognitive scale, and a general uh, neurological exam assessment. Uh, and of course, this involves the history of the event uh, itself. Attempts are made to identify any type of what we call red flags or anything out of the ordinary that would suggest that the injury may be more severe than uh, initially manifested. And these individuals are sent for further uh, medical uh, assessment as well as uh, any type of uh, imaging study that is felt to be uh, necessary. Um, the individuals are usually held out from duty. They're placed on duty restrictions. Uh, still, one of the most effective early courses of treatment is actually uh, not medication per se, but early education and the a discussion with the individual that over 85 to 90 percent of individuals who sustain a, a concussion uh, will recover uh, in time, usually uh, days at the most, but uh, oftentimes uh, this may be extended uh, to weeks depending on the individual themselves. Uh, symptom management can take place, for example, if the individual has uh, headaches or dizziness or has difficulty sleeping than uh, different types of uh, both pharmacological as well as non-pharmacological strategies can be used to assure that they get adequate rest, uh, sleep, and uh, hydration. Uh, after the individual um, is feeling better and uh, feeling as though their symptoms uh, have resolved, returned to baseline, uh, then they are reassessed and giving uh, an exertional uh, physical uh, exam. This exertional physical exam includes such things as uh, exercise to uh, try and determine whether or not the symptoms will reappear. Uh, it's common that after physical strain of some sort, uh, some of these um, uh, post-traumatic symptoms which may either be um, what we call physical symptoms, such as headache, uh, dizziness, um, problems with uh, sleep, uh, feeling ringing in their ears, uh, uh, as well as uh, cognitive problems, problems with paying uh, attention, concentration, memory problems, and in some cases, uh, neuropsychiatric problems, which are uh, conditions of feeling uh, irritable, uh, impulsive, somewhat depressed, uh, and uh, uh, also all of these things may contribute to difficulty with, uh, with sleep. 
So at the time that the individual feels that many of these symptoms have resolved, they are tested to see if there's any reemergence of those symptoms. And if not, then they can be returned to duty, although there is a program set down where that return is gradual over time with uh, increasing responsibilities and increasing uh, amounts of time spent on the job uh, over the course of a week or two. It's time for us to take a quick break for the Dot Docs Health Beat, news and information from the military health system. When we come back, we'll continue with Dr. Flynn. Dot Docs Health Beat. Last week, four wounded warriors and disabled veterans spent a day skiing at Whitetail Resort in Mercersburg, Pennsylvania. Together with the USO of Metropolitan Washington and the Two Top Mountain Adaptive Sports Foundation, the wounded warriors and veterans proved to themselves that rehabilitation is more than painkillers and doctor recommendations. I've been using snowboarding and hand cycling and weightlifting to manage my pain for the past three years, said Matthew Balancia, one of the participants. I think by using different sports and athletics, it keeps you from being depressed. It manages my depression and post-traumatic stress. It's great to be able to use those things instead of the medication. Learn more about these kinds of activities at www.twotopadaptive.org. A recent Navy study has revealed that injured service members who receive morphine during trauma care are about half as likely to develop post-traumatic stress disorder as those who are not administered the drug. Published in the New England Journal of Medicine on January 14th, the study was conducted by researchers at the Naval Health Research Center in San Diego. Troy Holbrook, one of the study's authors, explained that many other studies will need will be needed to determine the correlation between morphine and the reduced risk of PTSD. In the meantime, however, the study's findings will be shared with the other services and the results will be used to start developing strategies for PTSD prevention after injury. The second annual remembrance ceremony dedicated to fallen military medical personnel, Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Iraqi Freedom, was held Tuesday at Arlington National Cemetery. The ceremony invites family members of the fallen from all over the country to come together in Washington, D.C. for a day of remembrance. Hosted by Dr. Charles Rice, who is performing the duties of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs, the event featured guest speakers from across the DOD. Rice said of this annual event, quote, We gather together certainly to recognize their courage and sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, on the battlefield. Yet we are also here to acknowledge our own grief and the enduring loss felt by their families. These medical service members, medics, nurses, and doctors gave their lives in order to save lives. All these stories and more are available at health.mil. Log on to stay up to date. This has been your .mil Docs Health Beat. For the Military Health System, I'm Elizabeth Lockwood. Welcome back to .mil Docs. Today, Dr. Frederick Flynn of Madigan Army Medical Center and their traumatic brain injury program is talking with us about traumatic brain injury. Now, you talked about medication that would be used for in the treatment of TBI, but what's kind of like the... The total package of, of treatment, I mean, even though we have to keep in mind that each case appears to be different. Well, well, medication is only one aspect, right. and medication is, um, is directed usually at specific symptoms that, that patients are having. For example, uh, it's perfectly um, reasonable to use medication to treat headache pain because many of the headaches that are experienced are very similar to uh, migraine headaches and to tension headaches uh, that occur in individuals who have who have never had a traumatic brain injury. Um, these patients tend to respond uh, in many cases very well to, to medications like that. On the other hand, uh, symptoms, as I mentioned, such as uh, concentration, attention, um, uh, such as uh, memory uh, and all, 
there is no magic pill for any of that. And oftentimes, um, by just helping the patient to um, tackle one problem at a time, to avoid uh, multitasking, to avoid uh, any type of high-risk behavior that, that may uh, precipitate uh, another concussive event uh, to keep them out of uh, the line of, of any type of activity that may precipitate another concussive event. And this carries over into the civilian sector as well with regards to uh, keeping a ball player out of a game uh, after the uh, player has sustained a concussion uh, because uh, sustaining a subsequent concussion uh, can cause serious problems with uh, acute brain swelling or uh, increase the risk of, of brain injury and brain damage. So overall, when we look at the overall treatment of mild TBI or concussion, still to this day, the number one um, acceptable factor that has uh, the most significant bearing is to sit down and to provide the individual with education about exactly what's happened to them, that this usually does not denote any type of permanent brain injury, but it is a temporary or transient brain uh, dysfunction that will recover uh, over time and we try and instill in the individual, um, beside all these guidelines that I talked about, instill in the individual the expectation uh, of recovery as well. Um, now, all these things that I've been talking about uh, are applicable to a single um, traumatic uh, brain injury that falls into the mild category or concussion category. Mm -hmm. uh, it appears as though things are different when we talk about uh, patients who have had multiple previous concussions. Oh, really? And, um, yes. And uh, in that particular case, there is a higher propensity when individuals have, have uh, sustained previous concussions uh, to have a, a longer persistence of symptoms and in the uh, civilian literature uh, with um, a, a study of uh, professional athletes, including football players and boxers, there is some indication that recurrent concussions uh, may lead to more persistent and permanent uh, cognitive impairment. Uh, there have been some cases as well of um, individuals who sustained repeated concussions uh, later on, uh, developing um, uh, such degenerative diseases as Alzheimer's disease or another condition that we call uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Mm -hmm. And uh, these are all related to the uh, succession of what happens with cumulative uh, injuries. And so that's why education is so important when you have sustained one of these injuries because it'll prepare you to perhaps not get another one and, and make the problem worse. Uh, yeah, this is absolutely correct. And, uh, and part of that education includes the, um, the so-called things to avoid list. And, and this involves uh, um, sometimes when we just say you can't risk another brain injury, that's 
not good enough. You have to spell it out, such as uh, no high-risk sports, such as skydiving, skiing, contact sports, no riding motorcycles, uh, you know, and, until all of this um, uh, symptom uh, uh, complex resolves. Uh, the other thing, too, is that the use of alcohol and the use of uh, illicit drugs uh, during this period of time uh, can exacerbate uh, all the symptoms and, and make them worse. Um, really? Yes. And uh, sometimes um, in an attempt to um, uh, increase uh, attention or to increase uh, concentration, uh, some people resort to using um, higher doses of caffeinated products, such as multiple cups of coffee or um, uh, soda drinks that are caffeinated drinks. Some uh, folks will use uh, energy enhancer drinks. And uh, ironically, these have all been shown to be uh, detrimental to the recovery of, uh, of symptoms. So we advise uh, patients uh, not to use any of these products and uh, not to use uh, over-the-counter uh, cough, cold, or allergy medicines, especially those that may contain uh, pseudoephrine, uh, because some of these uh, products, including antihistamines, uh, make may uh, may make matters uh, worse as well. Now let's talk about the TBI program specifically at Madigan. Um, what what's going on? What's what's the future hold for that program? Well, I think that the uh, the program actually got its start back in 2007. Mm -hmm. um, uh, General Baxter uh, put together a directive uh, to get a TBI program started, primarily for the purpose of. Uh, conducting the screening of, of soldiers returning, which was the Department of Defense directive. Uh, we started out with about three people, have grown steadily ever since, and what we discovered was that um, it's not enough to just screen people to determine whether or not they've had a TBI, but um, we need to do something to help the individual. So uh, what we elected to do was uh, developed our own uh, screening process to identify uh, those individuals who historically had a pretty good probable history of having sustained a concussion uh, at one time or another. Those individuals uh, are referred from the soldier readiness program where the screening takes place over to our TBI program. And at the present time, we have uh, 25 people working in the TBI program. Uh, six of these people are providers, uh, mostly family medicine physicians, internal medicine physicians, uh, nurse practitioner, and also two neurologists. And in addition to that, we have uh, two neuropsychologists, two clinical psychologists, and because education is such an important thing, we developed a, an educational system, and we put a director who is a, um, a master's-related uh, educator from the University of Washington that we hired on, and she supervises two nursing educators who have backgrounds in nursing education. And also, uh, we hired a um, retired command sergeant major to serve as an ombudsman for us. Uh, 
He plays a critical role in getting out and talking to line officers and other non-commissioned officers to educate them about our program and the importance of getting their soldiers over uh, for evaluation. Okay. So when, when a soldier walks through the door, uh, and I should say approximately 20% of all, all returning soldiers will give a positive history of having sustained a um, concussive injury or mild traumatic brain injury while in theater. So those individuals come in, they are all given uh, questionnaires relating to some of the most common symptoms, headache, sleep disturbance, post-traumatic stress. They fill these forms out. Then they have a 45 to 50 minute sit down face-to-face -face with a medical provider who goes through a detailed history with them, uh, takes a past medical history for any other medical conditions, or any previous concussions that they may have had, both before coming in the service and after coming in the service. And, uh, and then they do an examination on them, which includes a general neurological exam to check for such things as, as balance problems and a 30-item cognitive examination in which uh, their ability to uh, attend, concentrate, and their short-term memory uh, is assessed as well. For those soldiers that appear to be doing very well, that have returned to baseline, or that have no objective findings, we provide them with take-home educational materials. One of our educators will sit down with them and discuss uh, both what has happened to them, their recovery period, and that should anything uh, come up in the future, that uh, they can be seen again and, and reassessed. Those individuals that we feel confident about will be returned uh, to their units. Um, those individuals who continue to have objective findings, uh, symptoms that need to be treated, or uh, cognitive uh, problems will be further uh, assessed within our program, and they will see one of our specialists, either the neurologist, the neuropsychologist, or in the case where uh, post-traumatic stress and anxiety uh, is very important, they will also see one of our clinical psychologists. And we will continue to follow them and treat them within our program uh, until they show signs of improvement. Uh, any soldier that is followed in our program is assigned to a, a nursing case manager who coordinates all of their uh, medical care and uh, should they need any uh, outside rehabilitation, uh, our nursing um, uh, case managers will also uh, coordinate that. Uh, the fact that all of our people uh, in the TBI program all work under one building also affords us the opportunity to have uh, multiple case conferences where all of our specialists work together uh, to provide uh, what we call holistic or total medical care to the soldiers so that we're not just treating their, you know, traumatic brain injury, we're treating the soldier themselves. Sure. Uh, we encourage uh, spouses and family members to come in to also be educated. And in some cases, our psychologists actually conduct uh, a couples therapy uh, as well because uh, there may be 
uh, some stressors and and uh, in readjusting to family life. Hmm. So all of these things are going on, and in addition to that, we provide. Um, uh, tele-TBI conferencing to remote areas such as Alaska and other places within the western region where uh, we will have um, our grand rounds projected to those areas. Uh, we can also do consultations with um, uh, individuals from uh, other western region sites. If somebody had a patient up in Alaska that they wanted us to evaluate uh, we could oftentimes um, uh, do a tele-TBI conference and, uh, and do that as well. So um, uh, these are all different aspects of how our program is going. Uh, we have about eight uh, research protocols that we're also conducting at the present time, uh, looking at ways that we can further improve uh, treatment of our soldiers. And, and most of all, we, um, uh, we bring the soldiers and their families in to um, uh, make them an intricate part of their own care. We, we ask them specifically how it is that they feel that we can better serve them, and then uh, we, we work to try and uh, produce that as well. But most of all, the thing that I'm, uh, I'm most proud of is that uh, – uh, all of our personnel here, including our front desk clerks and our administrative personnel, have a real sincere uh, uh, interest and uh, an effort that they put forth um, because they really, really want to help out uh, our troops and uh, are very, we all feel very privileged to be able to um, uh, serve our troops and to support uh, the service members as well as their families. Well, that is certainly something to be happy about. Dr. Flynn, we're about up on time, so I'd just like to thank you for being on the show today. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. That's it for us this week on Mill Docs, but don't worry, we'll be back next Thursday. We'll be talking about TBI again with Dr. James Bender, who is a psychologist for the Defense Centers of Excellence for Psychological Health and Traumatic Brain Injury. He'll be on the program to discuss TBI and mental health issues. Until then, XOXO, see you on health.mil. This program is a product of the Office of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs, Military Health System. .mil Docs features the most relevant military health topics important to you and your family. If you have questions or topics you'd like to see on an upcoming episode, send us an email at .mildocs at tma.osd.mil. That's D-O-T-M-I-L-D-O-C-S at tma.osd.mil. Visit health.mil for more episodes.